Man, it's good to worship with you guys this morning. Wasn't that those songs are amazing and that psalms that you read, Randy, that was that was just wonderful. And um I'm very blessed. Um we're gonna be looking at first Peter chapter one, so open your Bibles. If you have a Bible, open it up to first Peter chapter one, and if you don't have a Bible, shame on you. No, it's okay. You can forget your Bible. I forgot my Bible the other day at church. But that's what we're here for, right? Learning God's Word. First Peter chapter 1. And specifically, we're looking at verses 14 to 16. I'm going to start back at 13, though. Give us the full depth of what Peter is telling us here. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Lord God, You are holy, Lord. You stand perfect and complete and pure, high above us, God. Lord, may our hearts bow in worship to You as we consider these Mighty verses, Lord. May our hearts be drawn more to You, Lord, with affections and love. May our lives be transformed in growth. Lord, may we be uh, reflecting Your glory in this world, Lord. Your holiness. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Can anybody guess what the topic of today's teaching is? That's right. One and the same thing. One said in the negative and the other in the positive, right? Holiness. Very clearly stated. Our, our passage says, be holy. How often? How much holiness? To what degree? When? Where? Well, he says in, in verse 15 towards the end, he says, in all manner of conversation. In other words, the, the, in the sum total of all of your life, in every situation, all the time, be holy. Not only when it's convenient to be holy and when people are being nice to you, but even in costly times, even when holiness is difficult, even when people are being mean and perhaps even smearing your name all over town. Be holy. In the context, these Christians were tempted to be unholy. And the first century Christians, uh, they were deplorables to the Jews. They were, they were found to be intolerable and they were chased out of town. They had their possessions confiscated. They had legal charges filed against them. Um, their names were being smeared and they were running as they were, they were outlaws simply for loving the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it's in this context where they are tempted to fight back. They are tempted to, sh- to have revenge. They are tempted to smear the names of those who smear their names. That he gives them this charge and he says, Be holy. When holiness is most difficult. When, when holiness is not easy. When holiness is outside of our human nature. Isn't it? I mean, holiness is outside of our human nature. That's, that's by definition what holiness is, right? But this command, it's so clear, be holy. How are we to achieve holiness? Well, that's not so clear, right? The, the command is clear, but the charge to, to be holy. But how do, are we to accomplish holiness? That's our question today. How are we to achieve holiness? Now, before we consider this question of how to achieve holiness, I want us to define holiness. Let's think about what the charge is and what he's calling us to. Uh, Holiness means to be pure. It means to be set apart, separate. It means to be distinct. To set aside for uncommon use, for venerable use for honorable use, for sacred use. That's what holiness means. Now, some people will make the claim that because God is holy and that He created all things, therefore all things are holy. But I I think that really erases the definition uh, of holy. Um, Is your car holy? Is is your dinner that you're going to eat tonight holy your workplace is that holy are you standing on holy ground that doesn't seem to make much sense to me Um, it actually makes the word a bit meaningless right Um, if everything's holy then really nothing is holy at all If, if everything's sacred then nothing is really sacred if everything is holy then nothing is distinct or extraordinary Everything is just ordinary at that point. And so such a definition would include unimpressive things, things that are necessities of life, things that are routines in life, those things which are common, sitting in traffic, brushing your teeth, or paying your taxes. I don't think any of us want to consider paying taxes as a holy thing. You guys feel that way? I don't feel that way about paying taxes. But it's just, there's things that are just routines and they're ordinary. They're necessities of life and they're routines, but they're not holy. And so I want to help us kind of refine this definition and, and talk about characteristics of holiness. I'm going to give you five characteristics of holiness. Holy, first and foremost, it means to be sacred. It means to be set apart. Like we set apart Thanksgiving and Memorial Day. Now I'm not saying that Thanksgiving and Memorial Day are actually holy days, but we understand that, uh, that the leaders of our country recognize this as a sacred day and, and we've set it apart as, as extraordinary and we shut down schools and businesses to celebrate Thanksgiving and Memorial Day. That's what's the idea of sacred. That's what the idea of being holy. Set apart for uncommon use. 
Holiness then also means to be distinct. And we see this by the imagery of light. God is said to be light. In, in Psalms 104, it says that he clothes himself in light, meaning that he's, he's transcendent, he's distinct, he's special, he's abnormal, he's, he's got an otherliness about himself, he's, and he's unique, separated, incomparable, incomprehensible. That's the idea of holiness, to be distinct. But not just merely distinct, because if, if he was merely distinct, it, it wouldn't really indicate that he's necessarily pure or good or morally just. But, but to be holy, scripturally, means to be morally good. His, his distinctiveness means that he's good. You could be distinct for being bad, right? We call those people infamous. They've, they've built a name over being villains, I think of people like Jesse James or Al Capone, some of the heroes. (laughs) Some people have these as heroes, cultural icons. But that's not what we're talking about, just being distinct. But we're saying he's he's distinctly good. He's distinctly good. John says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And those who claim to have fellowship and yet walk in darkness, they lie. And they do not have the truth. God is good. He's distinctly good. And holiness is good. And holiness is majestic. When you're in the presence of holiness, you are in the presence of greatness. Majesty. That which is venerable and honorable. Consider when Moses stood before the burning bush, God said, Moses, take your sandals off. A, a, a symbolic act of self-abasement before God because of how high and venerable and honorable and majestic God is. And the, the, the angels who are high above us, they stand before the throne and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When they do that, they cover their shame. They hide themselves because God is far above them and He's majestic so holiness means majesty. And it means divine. It means to be a cut above. It's a standard that's much higher. It's, we use the word transcendent. But it's not like the conventional, conventional kind of goodness that we think about in, in, that's normal goodness in society. Um... I know of a church that was using what's called donor-designated funds to fund other things than what they were designated for. So in other words, when you write out a check as a gift in a church, you could put it on the memo line, I want this for the roof, or the children's ministry, or whatever it may be. And this... like. Legally, you can actually take what are donor-designated funds, and corporations do it all the time, they can take those and just put them into a general project fund, and they can either use it for what they were requested to or not. But being legal doesn't make it right or wrong, does it? Like, there's there's a higher standard 
of right and wrong that is beyond the conventional norms. We don't, as Christians, we don't dabble in gray areas. We understand that to be holy means there's a higher standard than legality or the conventional norm or just what we conceive of as a good person. It's much higher than that. That's why Jesus taught us that he said that the the prevailing ideas of good and, and right and wrong were not adequate. And he said that when he said, and um, you have heard it said, but I say, remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said, but I say. Jesus was talking about there's a higher standard than what the culture said was the right standard of right and wrong. You have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say, if you even have hatred in your heart, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, and there's a, there's a higher standard that Christ called them to, a, a holiness. And so it means to be a cut above. It's not just not stealing. It's not just not murdering. It's not just not lying or committing adultery. Jesus said holiness is much higher than that. The, the, the perfect requirement that God requires is more than just your actions. It's more than just your words. It's the internal nature of your heart. And so true holiness is higher it's higher than human effort. It's hum- higher than human standards. It's higher than human ethics or traditions. Next, um, this standard, you could say, is simply divine. It's actually, by all human efforts, it's unattainable for us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about holiness. It is, it is a cut above. It is divine And so this holiness, it's beyond us. It's beyond human capacity. It's beyond our natural self. And yet we are called to it. Be ye holy, for I am holy, is the standard here. How in the world are we supposed to do that? Well, He does give us some help here. And amazingly, although holiness is beyond us, yet God invites us into that holiness. God actually includes us. He communicates this holiness to us. He makes it possible for us to live holiness. Uh, Of course, by, by degree, we are still fallen creatures, but we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And He calls us into this realm of holiness. How? First of all, God, by God's act of making us His children. Notice in verse 14, as obedient children. We are actually counted as holy before God. We are, we are reckoned holy before God. We are legally declared holy before God to join in in His holy family as a, as a holy child of God. And consequently, we want to obey Him. 
We were, we were adopted into the family of God, is another way of saying this, right? Naturally, um, we are not children of God. Naturally, I am actually a child of the devil. I was under the sway of the world. I was in that dominion of darkness and then called out of that darkness to become a child of light. Uh, I was hellbound. I was condemned. I was under the wrath of God. And then He adopted me and He made me His child. This, this word, it, it means that we are taken out of the world and placed into the family of God. How? By adoption. You know, I, I didn't even know I was up for adoption. Think about that. I was just living my life, doing what I felt was right, and bam, God called me. It says in verse 15, But he which hath called you is holy. That wasn't me. I didn't initiate this. This speaks of God's sovereign election. This speaks of God's choice, His election. His calling. That's how I became His child through sovereign election. And it was not anything in and of myself, but it was initiated solely by God for salvation. And so, I was, I was in the gutter. I was in depravity. I was at the bottom. That's, that was my life. Living like any other worldling. Just not even knowing what I was missing out on. Condemned, desperate. And God showed His undeserved affection upon my life. He, he made me an object of His grace. He forgave me of my sins. And by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, I stand justified in Him. Legally declared holy and righteous before Him. With the full status of a family member, I'm... I'm not his enemy anymore, and I'm I'm not even merely a servant of God. I am a child of God. I'm one of his children with all the affections of God, a full-fledged member of the household of God. That hostility that existed between God and I because of my sin no longer is there. When God looks at me, he doesn't look at my sins. He only looks at me and says, that is my child. I was made holy. Not because of me, but by God's grace. A child of God. So first, and this is most fundamental, holiness comes from election. From, it comes from God's work of grace and His forgiveness and the adoption and bringing you into the house of God. That's fundamental. That's the basis for everything else I will say. But... Adoption, it also motivates holiness. By bringing this idea up of being a child of God, He's motivating our instincts. He's, he's saying that you have these natural instincts, or rather supernatural instincts, that were given to you at your new birth. You actually want to be holy. You want to be holy out of gratitude for what God has done for you. You, um, you resemble your father in some ways. He says, be holy as I am holy. 
You know, I want to be like my Father in heaven who is good, who is always gracious, who is merciful, who is patient and long-suffering. I want to, I want to aspire to this kind of holiness, this high degree of holiness. Why? Because He's shown that grace upon me. I, I do it out of an appreciation for Him. Out of a gratitude towards Him. You know, and, and children, they naturally re- kind of resemble their fathers. Whether you like your father or not, in some ways you probably resemble him. And there's good reason why some people don't want to be like their fathers. But um, some fathers are just bad dudes. But God is not like that. God is actually a good father. He's brought us into His family with affections and love and His grace upon us. You know, my children actually, um, sometimes they call me Papa Bill. (laughs) And I know what they mean by that. They mean that I have His mannerisms, that I have His sense of humor, that I have some of the (laughs) bad qualities as well. But He, you know, they like to take jabs at me and call me Papa Bill. But that's, part of that parent-child um, paradigm, right? That God put us into this family to have this role model and that we our lives would mimic our fathers. And he says here, be holy for I am holy. As a child of God, be holy. And so God has given you this instinct for holiness. He's given you adoption and legally brought you into the family that you could live holy. And so consequently, you want to give your life to that out of appreciation of Him, out of love for Him. And you want more and more and more of it. Second point, how are we to aspire towards holiness? How are we to attain this holiness? He says, Again in verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Not fashioning yourself, not being shaped or formed to your lusts or your passions or your feelings. No longer giving way to your natural impulses. You know, whether you want it or not, you are being fashioned by something. Friends, family, culture, music, celebrities, role models, education, whatever it is, all of these things at some level shape us and... and, um, the world is misshaping us, right? They're shaping us not into this holy man of God. They're shaping us to be a worldling. They're, they're, they're shaping us in a different direction. What is fashioning you? What is shaping your life? This is the most vital question, right? For the most part, we're being shaped by the idiot box. TV, internet, social media, video gaming. 
None of these things are ever going to shape you to be the man or God or woman of God uh, that God desires you to be. None of them are shaping you towards being holy. But as bad as these things are, none of them are as destructive as what Peter mentions here. Uh, the most destructive, the most deforming, the the most um, negative influence upon your life that will shape you and fashion you to be more like the demons is not anything outside of yourself. That thing that will shape and form you and that will make you look more and more like the devil is actually you. It's not outside of you. He says here, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts, Those lusts are your feelings and your passions and your impulses, your instincts. That's you. Don't be shaped by your feelings. Don't be shaped by your lusts. Don't be fashioned by your desires. Now sometimes your desires are are good and sometimes they are bad. But I think in general what he's saying is to be shaped by them and have that be the control mechanism of your, of your life is mostly bad, <laughs> right? They didn't lead you towards godliness. Not all feelings and desires are bad. Uh, they can be helpful, especially if they're feelings that are stirred up out of your affections for God and appreciating what God has done for you, ma- making you a child of God. It, affections that come from the scriptural truths about salvation, um, appreciating great high theology about God, appreciating noble things, beautiful things, wonderful things of scripture, the promises that we have. These can stir in us good feelings that are positive in shaping our life. They can stir uh, good desires that we would more greatly appreciate God. But many feelings and desires are actually bad. And Peter says here, he uses the word lust. And this Greek word actually indicates a longing to do what is forbidden. A longing to do what is forbidden. There's not many millennials in this room, but but sorry millennials, uh, feelings are not always valid. I mean, we have to affirm somebody's feelings at some level, but we don't need to validate feelings, right? If you were born biologically a man, it's an invalid feeling to feel like you're a girl. Right? Pretty simply put, uh, not all feelings are are valid. Um, Some of our feelings are invalid and they're forbidden. And, And there are feelings, if they're a if they're a fashioning device in your life, if they're the control mechanism that shapes you, then they're, dece- they're going to deceive you and leave you into all different kinds of sin. They're not a good measure of good and evil, are they? Your feelings. Well, who cares about your feelings? And we shouldn't always protect our feelings against criticism, right? Right? 
when people talk about having their safe space these days or getting in touch with their feelings, Disney tells you to follow your heart. No wonder these millennials are so messed up, right? They're trusting their feelings. They're trusting a bad informant about who they are. They, their, their feelings are lying to them. And they need, what they actually need is some constructive criticism about their feelings to change their feelings that they would be corrected. That would be the, the loving thing to do. But prior to conversion, you had these former desires. You had these former lusts. And they were shaping your life and leading you down the wrong path. And you were filled with passions and desires. And you were impulsive. Um, bad behavior was just part of you. It's not something you have to, to, to learn. Bad behavior isn't something you have to learn. In fact, no parent ever threw themselves on the ground kicking and screaming to teach their child how to throw a temper tantrum. But does every kid know how to throw a temper tantrum? A- absolutely, right? It's not learned. Being angry and hostile, and that's just part of human nature. And so this is, this is innate in us. Sin dwells within us. And at the root of that is our feelings, our desires. And they move our will and they govern our lives and they cause us to go into all different manifestations of sin. And so we're not to trust our feelings and it's not always that sin comes directly from us. Sometimes we are pushed and pulled and shaped by culture. Sometimes we have bad influences in our life. Sometimes we're listening to the wrong music. But those, those things in and of themselves, they don't cause you to sin. right? They, it comes from you. Those things push on your feelings and they, they pull you in different directions but it's you that changes your convictions and starts to believe a lie and then runs off into sin. And so, we're not to trust feelings, especially bad desires and feelings. And yet, Peter says that they're still within a Christian here, right? Um, By implication, he says, do not fall back into this. Your former lusts they're still there and that's why he has to have a command to tell us to not trust in our feelings and to not be shaped by them do not be fashioned by your former lust and so this holiness it's it's not achieved by getting in touch with our feelings or our desires a holy man has learned not to trust those a holy man or woman of god knows the danger of being impulsive and just trusting in their own instincts. So how are we to become this holy person of God? First, we have to become a child of God and have that appreciation of God and the salvation that He brought to you. And with gratitude, it, it flows up in you and they, you, you want to be holy. And secondly, you, you recognize that your old pattern of living those feelings and those instincts that you had were bad and that you 
you no longer want to follow that pattern of life. You no longer want to be shaped by your feelings. And then third point here, how are you going to be shaped into a holy man or woman of God is by education. Again in verse 14, all of my points came out of verse 14 here. <laughs> As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance. In your ignorance. Your former days were ignorant. What is ignorance? It's blindness. Ignorance is dumbness. Ignorance is disregard. What were you ignorant of? Well, you were ignorant about the nature of God. You were ignorant about His glory. You were ignorant about the incarnation. You were ignorant about why Jesus died on the cross. You were ignorant about salvation. You were ignorant about the meaning of life and the purpose of life. You were ignorant about your own self-deception that led you into sin. You were ignorant about the power of sin over you and you foolishly thought that you were in right standing before God. You thought that you had credibility with God and that you were holy and living this holy life. And so you were, in other words, ignorant of what? You were ignorant of God's Word. You need to be educated in God's Word. The, how, do you, how do you combat this ignorance? How do you get out of this state of ignorance? Being educated, right? Become educated. Ignorance is not an excuse for sins. Now, I remember being a, a, a kid and thinking that ignorance somehow was my get-out-of-jail-free card. But this was my past. I mean, Dad, I, I didn't... I forgot that you told me to clean my room. I, I forgot that you told me to do the dishes. That was such an easy way out. And, and I felt like such a victim when my dad called my bluff and just said, yeah, you know, ignorance is no excuse. Right? That, that, that excuse runs dry. It's not a valid excuse. It doesn't give you license to sin. Now, in some level, um, unwilling ignorance is, is sort of an excuse, right? If you took the cookies that were on the counter and you didn't know that they weren't for you, I mean, you're kind of excused in making a mistake a little bit. But my question is this. Why didn't you just ask if they were for you? Right? We, we like our ignorance, why? Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance excuses us from any moral culpability. And so, um, we're not called to a, a life of ignorance. Most people will think that ignorance is going to excuse them on Judgment Day. After all, God, I never even read the Bible. I didn't know that I was in sin. How is that going to stand before God? Not good. I mean, if I ran, 
onto a white carpet with muddy shoes. And I said, man, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to take my shoes off in the house. That's not going to fly very well, is it? Ignorance is no excuse. In fact, ignorance doubly condemns you, especially as a Christian. For Not only are you condemned for having violated God's law, but you are condemned because you had a Bible and you still violated God's law. You should have known better. Right? Get educated. And I'm not saying to get educated like to become some academic scholar, but we want to know God's Word thoroughly. And we want to understand it so that we can obey it. Now, S. Lewis Johnson has this quote, On Judgment Day, you will not only be condemned for the things you knew you ought to do and failed to do, you will be condemned for the things you ought to have known to do and failed to do. You will be condemned for the things you ought to have known to do and failed to do. You need to know your Bibles, you guys. Ignorance is not an excuse. And so, how are we to aspire to this life of holiness? By becoming a child of God, first and foremost. God makes you holy. He declares you holy. By the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are removed. That penalty and crime is paid for and you are redeemed. The purchase price has been paid and you've been received in as a child of God if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you, by that you have these instincts of gratitude and appreciation for all that God does. And you want to be like your Father. You want to be holy as He is holy. And then you understand that, that your life was heading in a wrong trajectory because you were following those feelings and those passions and those lusts. And you recognize you need to put those away. You need to stop deceiving yourself. And then you need to be informing your mind, being transformed by the renewing of your mind as you delve into your Bibles. This is how you aspire to holiness, you guys. I hope you're resolved to be holy, to make a clean break from sin and not excusing it in ignorance and following your feelings. But be passionate about true holiness. Be passionate about truth. Be Resolve to follow God in holiness. God has adopted you into His holy family that you might live this holy life. Stir up your affections for God. Stir up your affections for God's people. Stir up for yourself a love of God's truth. God has imparted to us something so wonderful and special. I'm going to close with this quote. The sun is so bright and powerful, and without it, living things could not survive. God in His holiness is like the sun. As the rays of the sun spread to every living creature, so Christians receive God's holiness. We are children of a holy Father who get to reflect His goodness and light. Okay, we're not... 
We're not begrudgingly becoming holy. This is something we, we want, right? This is, a, this is God's grace on this. Let's pray that He would make us more holy. Lord God, I admit, Lord, that I was not seeking You, Lord, but You snatched me out of that gutter, out of that worldly life, Lord, of desires and impulsive living that led me astray from You, God. And Lord, if it had not been for You, Lord, I would be... I don't know where I'd be. I know that I, my end would be in hell, God. And rightfully so. Lord, I ask that You would um, make us all greater uh, in appreciating what You've done by making, calling us out of that, making us children by adopting. Lord, I pray that You would educate us, Lord. Fill us up with Your Word, God. And I ask that You would um, continue to build up this body of Christ here at Laytonville. Make us a holy people that would bless Your holy name. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.